Jimmy Smith here. Today on the MMA on SiriusXM podcast, I speak to UFC flyweight Casey O'Neill about getting the ultimate revenge on a Twitter troll and the timetable for her return to the octagon on Unlock in the Cage. And on MMA Today, Ryan McKinnell and Angela Hill were joined by PFL announcer Lillian Garcia to discuss the upcoming PFL championships and what makes the league so appealing to fighters. Undefeated flyweight Casey O'Neill. Not only are you in the news because you're a great fighter, nine and zero. The street can't get around that. Also, uh, apparently, an internet troll said he would come to your gym and spar you, and then ghosted on you. Guys do that still? That's a thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of internet trolls out there, and sometimes you just gotta call them out and let them know their balls aren't as big as they think they are. And you know, I think we proved that point. It was funny. So I saw what uh, Eric Nixick posted, which is he had, a, he had a waiver ready to go for the guy. Everything was set up. It's good to go. And the person didn't just not show up. They then deleted their account and completely disappeared. They disappeared from the face of the earth. Is that a little satisfying? Yeah, I mean, winner by forfeit, I guess. But uh, it was pretty funny how it happened because obviously yes. after he called me out and we had that little text thread that everyone saw, if you went onto his page the next day, um, he was just tweeting like crazy stuff about the fight. Like, what's the most anticipated fight of the year for the rest of the year? And then it would be like regular fights and then Cal versus Casey. So I'm like, oh, maybe he is actually going to show up, you know, like he's out here posting all about it. Like he was excited too. And I was willing and able to throw down with him. But after that, he just, yeah, deleted his Twitter. And I guess that means that I win. Uh, I think it does. I think it's a win by default for you. So still undefeated. How much can you even put into words? I, I, I can't imagine being a fighter at all these days, let alone being an undefeated female fighter. The crap you have to take and deal with on social media, is it? does it wear you down? Is it annoying? Is it part of the sport? What's your take on it? Um. Yeah, like it's all fun and games when we sit back and talk about it now, but like unfortunately that is the reality for a lot of female athletes especially also athletes just in general but I feel like females get discredited a lot more than males do I think that yeah. people this day and age are way too quick to sit on social media behind a fake profile and just try and tear someone down you know I was brought up by my dad telling me if someone ever talks shit to you just punch them in the face and they'll never do it again but the internet has got people like too confident in saying something without getting punched in the face. So yeah, it's frustrating. A lot of the times I let it just roll off my back because I have dealt with it for so long now, but it's a big problem, not only for like female athletes, but I guess just kids in general too, like online bullying and stuff like that. So wanted to call out one person and see if they could, you know, put their money where their mouth is and you know, show everyone that a coward is a coward and they'll never show up and show their face. So what was it about this particular guy that did that? Have, have you done things like this before? Did you just take it further than everybody else? Why this particular guy? Yeah, I, I was kind of just bored at um, therapy in the morning, like getting my leg looked at because I just had ACL surgery too. Yes. And it uh, popped up on my screen. So then I just decided I would reply to this one. And he kept replying really fast. So we were having like a pretty decent uh, text thread going there. And then it sort of blew up as everyone saw, you know, Barstool Sports like ran with it. Some guy on TikTok ran with it. And I like stopped paying attention. I 
was like, okay, he's either going to show up or not. And then I had 7,000 new followers. I had all these people sending me messages, asking me if they could come to the gym and film it. I had a bunch of, uh, I don't know, MMA media people asking me if they could come by. So I was like, oh, damn, this has gone like really far. Or maybe you should make a pay-per-view out of this. But uh, no, it was, it was pretty funny. Uh, speaking, of course, to Casey O'Neill, undefeated flyweight in the UFC, 9-0. and So let's switch um, course here, and, and I want to ask you about that. Of course, you had a torn ACL. Uh, you were set to fight Jessica I, and then you got a torn ACL. How's that healing up? What has that process been like, both physically and mentally? Yeah, it's a big, big process. You know, I was uh, kind of on a serious roll there, you know, winning four fights in the UFC and looking for my fifth. And one thing about me is that I love to fight. So I try and book back to back to back. And we were in camp again, everything was going well. And then obviously the incident happened and I tore my ACL and had to go for surgery. I would say that physically it's been hard, but mentally it's a super hard process to have to deal with, you know, your whole life is being a fighter when you're a fighter and then for five months you have to sit on the sidelines and you know learn to walk again learn to squat again learn to run again just like basic movements that um, you take for granted and then you have to sort of work really hard to get them all back but I would say we're sitting in a good spot now the first three months were measurable but it's getting a lot better and I've just entered back into training a little bit now with uh, boxing drilling and pad work so we're coming out the other side. I feel a lot more confident about it now, but I definitely was in a little bit of a dark spot for that three months. What is it that gets you through when you're immobile like that, can't do anything, can't, don't feel like you can improve in any way, because you're you know, sitting on your butt with your leg elevated. What, what is it that gets you through that time? What are you thinking about? Um, I don't know about everyone else, but for me, I'm very like one goal minded and being the champion is the only goal that I have in mind. And obviously I've been working my way towards that and doing pretty well so far. And then I just decided that I would take this as another challenge, kind of like a fight camp. And it would be the hardest fight camp that I'd ever have to do. So uh, five months in, I would say that we've won that fight. I'm entering back into training about a month earlier than most people would and I'm on track to fight a couple of months earlier than um, most people do as well coming off ACL surgery so I take that as a win and just pushing through and making sure that I get back to being myself staying in the gym and watching everyone else train as well. Well, I'm speaking to King Casey O'Neill. Of course, he's a flyweight, 125 pound in the UFC, currently undefeated at 9-0. What have you learned in those last two fights? Roxanne Modafferi, one of the most experienced fighters in women's MMA, regardless of division. And, of course, Antonina Shevchenko, uh, sister of the champ, Valentina Shevchenko. Those two fights kind of, in many ways, to a lot of fans, put you on the map. I know you were 7-0 going in, but the biggest name so far of your career, what did those fights, including the performance of the night, uh, against Shevchenko, what did you learn from those fights? Um, that I don't suck as bad as I think I do. I think that's something that I have struggled with my whole career too. Is sort of like, I think I try and tear myself down to like reality, but then I think I go a little bit too far because I'm not perfect and I've always been chasing perfection. And obviously you see there's still things I need to work on, but better than these girls. And I already know that and I could be, the majority of them where I'm at right now. So 
um, excited to just keep getting better and better and end up being the champ at 125. That's my only goal. And uh, the fight against Roxanne was probably the most fun I've ever had in my entire life. Um, finally got to bleed. I've never bled in a fight before. So I got to bleed some blood, have that iron taste in the back of my throat. And anybody who fights knows that just like pushes you a little bit harder and just to, you know, break the strike count for females, just everything that I did in that fight proves that um, I'm doing the right things and I'm on the right path. And yeah. So, so what is it about that? And, and a lot of people listening to you who have never fought before just couldn't understand that, that, man, I got to bleed for the first time, that that was an experience I wanted. How do you explain that to a civilian, to somebody who's never fought before, that feeling, that desire to do that? How do you explain that? I think just doing something hard and reaping the rewards of, uh, you know, getting through something like maybe, I don't know, finishing university or something like that, that people, normal people do. But for us, it's a lot uh, different, I guess. But just going through like a super tough fight, having to like really push and dig deep and, you know, uh, I guess get pushed to be the best uh, version of myself, which Roxanne definitely did for me and uh prove that you can beat a veteran and you know all that <laughs> well when you look at obviously valentina shevchenko's run at 125 pounds um the the problem we have outside of 115 is the depth in women's mma in the divisions meaning the next challenger coming up and all these things it, it, it can be kind of hard to figure out because valentina shevchenko has been so dominant when you say i want to be champion uh, I'm going to hold the belt. When you look at her run, do you see things that you would do? Do you see vulnerabilities that you would exploit should you fight her? Is it that kind of thing? Are you already sizing up the champ on your way up? I think everybody always uh, trains for the champ in the back of their mind in their respective divisions. You know, Of course, you're focused on the person in front of you, but that end goal is always going to be the champion. And as far as like depth in the division... 125 is the newest female division. And if you look at every um, other division coming through, 135 had Ronda Rousey until it didn't. 115 had Joanna young Jacek until it didn't. And now 125 has Valentina Shevchenko until it doesn't. So it's just going to be one person's going to take her out. And why can't it be me? So training super hard to be that one person that shocks the world. So what got you when it comes to your, 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 your icons, your idols. You talked about, you know, Ronda Rousey was huge. Valentina Shevchenko, of course, right now, absolutely huge. Um, Joanna and Jacek, when, when you were coming up and getting ready to enter this sport, who did you look at and think, I want to be on that level? Was there someone? Well, I actually started this sport really, really young. My dad was a fighter before I was. So I was watching the UFC from like four years old. I loved Phil Baroni for some reason. I had a Phil Baroni robe the same way he used to walk out. And I used to walk around the house in my Phil Baroni robe as he was walking out. So um, I've been involved in the sport for a long time. He also has an MMA show in Australia. My sister has an MMA show in Australia. She also just had her first ever fight. So my family's kind of been doing this a long time. I would say the most inspiration I've taken is from my dad. But then, of course, uh, people like Ken Shamrock, uh, the Gracies. We've got Anderson Silva, Josie Aldo, um, Joanna, my favorite female of all time. So 
a lot of people as I was coming up and obviously Ronda Rousey for opening that door and showing that it is a possibility to fight in the UFC because when I had my first couple fights there was still no females fighting in the UFC either I fought MMA for the first time at 15 years old my mom had to sign a waiver to say that I was allowed to fight and uh, I was kind of doing this as like an underground thing and just proud of how far I managed to come and grateful for those people that paved the way for me. Uh, it's interesting. I'm speaking, of course, to King Casey O'Neill, undefeated flyweight in the UFC. Um, the idea that you didn't know what the ceiling was, meaning if you start fighting and there aren't any stars yet in women's MMA and you don't know how, high, uh, how far you could go, how you could go, what were you thinking during, during those fir- first few fights when you're in your teens and you're fighting? What was your objective? What was your goal? Or was it, I want to experience fighting at this level, at some level? Or did you have goals? What were your thoughts when you were that age fighting? Um, I mean, I was a little bit of a naughty kid, I would say. I used to get kicked out of school all the time for fighting. So one big driving factor was punching people in the face and not having to move schools afterwards. So Yeah, that's a bummer. Um, that was a great one, not having <laughs> to make new friends every time. But uh, my dad having his MMA show, I also wanted to be the first ever female fighting for him. And he told me that he would never let me fight. So just constantly like wearing down on him, I guess, from 13 to 15. It took him two years, but then he let me. And I guess I wasn't really thinking about the ceiling. I just wanted to try it out. I'd been doing martial arts um, from four years old. I was kickboxing and 12 years old, I started jujitsu. So I just wanted to see um, what it would be like. I'd watched a lot of fights in my life and wanted to give it a go. And after the first one, you know, didn't go my way. Second one didn't go my way. Had to do a lot of uh, soul searching, I guess. Took two years off in between that really fell in love with like the process of uh, training really hard and like improving your skills and did a lot of like jujitsu tournaments, boxing um, fights and everything. And then came back and won my first fight back and have won every fight ever since. So got the bug and ran with it. And I would say that we're well and truly invested now. What was your dad's objection to you fighting? What did he say when you said, I want to fight, it's what I want to do. No, you can't, I'm not going to train you, or whatever the deal was. What were his objections to that? Um, He was letting me train at the time. I think it was just my age, you know. I started asking Mm -hmm. when I was 13 years old, and he was like, I'm not going to let my 13-year-old daughter fight. Then it was, I'm not going to let my 14-year-old daughter fight. And then at 15, I think I was like a month shy of my 16th birthday. I was like, can you just let me try it, like, if I lose that, whatever. And then he let me try. And obviously I did lose, but um, he could see how much I loved it and how much I put into the fight camp and everything like that. And he wouldn't, wasn't going to take it away from me. And now he's my biggest fan. He's in my corner. Every fight um, hasn't missed a single one. So it's been pretty cool to see it come full circle. So for the fans that want to see you actually fight and not take on a troll in the gym that doesn't show up, uh, right now, with your rehab, with the way everything's working right now, what does it look like for the timetable for your return? So I'm like five months post-surgery right now and just entering back into training. And I'm hoping to fight in March. That'll be 10 months post-surgery. Usually they say that it would be a year, but it's looking pretty likely that I can come back in March, hopefully on that uh, big UK card, which hasn't been announced yet, but is happening in March. So um, I'll be on that one. Fingers crossed. 
Well, I won't tell anybody because it hasn't been announced. King Casey O'Neill, I hope your rehab is going great. Thank you so much for joining us. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. On Thanksgiving Friday, November 25th at the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden, the PFL is going to be having their 2022 PFL championships. Millions of dollars are going to be on the line. You got that showcase bout of Shane Burgos versus Marlon Marais. And oh, yeah, it's all happening on pay-per-view. And to talk about this historic fight card for the PFL, she was a voice of the WWE, a part of the landscape for many, many years. And now she's doing her thing over at MMA for the PFL. She is ring announcer. She is the voice of the PFL, the one and only Lillian Garcia joining wow. us on a Wednesday. How you doing, Lillian? Thank you for that introduction. I appreciate it. Hey, you know, it's the only thing I got. Everyone, Angie, everyone always says that. They're like, it's a great introduction. I'm like, yeah, well, the wheels are about to fall off. So enjoy <laughs> the introduction because that's all I got. Uh, speaking of enjoying Lillian Garcia, this is a big deal. I mean, I, I don't know how it's going to play out, right? In terms of this pay-per-view for the PFL, it's always a risk. But, uh, you know, that part is always understood. But I'll tell you this, I applaud them for taking the jump, for trying something different, for stacking the card. Like, they've made a great card for this uh, New York show going down on that Thanksgiving Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. And again, it's definitely history for the PFL. I don't know if it's going to happen after this, but we are definitely getting once. Uh, what's your excitement level and what do you think about the PFL taking a stab at the pay-per-view market? Look, the PFL already, gosh, this is only year like number four. And I know. It has accomplished in such a short time. And that's because it takes risk. If you don't take risk, you don't get anywhere in life. I like you that. Have to take risks. And I love this. The card is phenomenal. Uh, I can't wait to be in that cage announcing these fights because these fighters are really going to go at it. You know, it's a million dollars in every division. Yep. Life changed. Uh, you know, whether it's the fighters, the families, but then people from home, uh, they get to watch lives changing. And you got a lot of fighters that are watching this from home, too. They're like, maybe I have a shot at the PFL. So I think that's really cool. All the way plant, plant those proverbial seeds, Lillian. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I keep anytime a PFL person comes on, I'm like, when do you think they're going to bring in straw weights? Uh, the women's <laughs> side of I want a million dollars. Yeah, I want a million. <laughs> I want a chance at least. Um, but what I want to know is how did you guys convince um, Marlon Marias to come out of retirement? You know, I don't know the back end as okay. to that, that aspect of it. I just know that they know how to pitch things. But not only that, I think it's the proof, the proof mm. of the lives changing, the proof of the, the system, the excitement around it, you know, the regular season, the playoffs, the championship. I mean, there's just something so exciting about it. And for me, you know, this is my third year with them. And it's just been so great to see the fighters and their progression from when my first year there, yeah. uh, you know, and, and think about this, Kayla Harrison and Larissa Pacheco, that's going to be an awesome fight. 
And I was there the very first time that they met in the cage and they met twice that season um, to now, you know, here it is uh, two, maybe three years later, is it because we lost the pandemic year? Mm-hmm. Um, so to see them back a- a- at it and to see Larissa, you know, the way that she's grown in the, in, in the whole sport, uh, it's just the whole deck is stacked. Yeah, and it's it really is an epic thing that they're doing with PFL because of the tournament um, platform that they're doing. Uh, no other MMA promotion does it as well as PFL does. It's, it's basically the, the entire show is based around this thing where you watch someone slowly work their way to the top. And it's I think it's the reason why um, some of our biggest sports are so big, like NFL, um, NBA, because you're working towards this singular goal where you could see which team is the best. And for PFL, they're able to do that in each weight class. And when that person wins the million dollars, it's so like the emotion, like you're saying, is so epic. It's so um, everyone can feel it, you know, and everyone gets a new chance at the beginning. It's very much like uh, like like the pride days and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah. I think the coolest thing about PFL is that it's creating this opportunity for people who, for whatever reasons, weren't able to get into the UFC, weren't able to make it in Bellator. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of barriers that stop a great fighter from getting noticed. And uh, with PFL, it doesn't seem like there's as many barriers in the I don't know. That wasn't really a question. I'm just kind of admiring the promotion. <laughs> I love what you're saying. And the thing is, is I think it's also because in the PFL, you know, it, you get to determine your fate. And that's what's so awesome. Mm. You know, there's a lot of I'm sure the PFL wanted Anthony Pettis to be all the way in the championship. Of course, <laughs> you know, but it wasn't it was his fate that, you know, would lead him there or not. And that's what's so much fun to watch is not only do you get to, um, you know, watch them win a million dollars, but the journey to it, you get to hear their real human interest stories. And that's what somebody like me, who's not a fighter, has really loved to hear their story, their struggles, what's, you know, behind the scenes. I mean, my gosh, Clay Collard, everything that he went through with his yeah. family. So when you hear those stories, when you're watching their fights, it's not just a fight because you have that human aspect to it. And that's what makes it even more interesting and makes you want to pull for them even more. And that's what I love about all the stories leading up to November and the championship and the whole season and how it's played out. Um, and yeah, that's why I love, love the format. Yeah, I mean, the format is is the sellability of PFO, right? The million dollars is so much what has been a focal point of the company for its you know years in existence. Now, it's also been a place where fighters can start a second life. In some cases, they continue uh, their career. And and when I talk about Shane Burgos, who recently signed with you uh, in his prime, right? People were kind of shocked. They were like, you know, but that that shows you, right? How enticing that million dollars is, the schedule, the point system, uh, the people that you work with, the people behind the scenes. I know how well respected the PFL is, but as we talk about Shane Burgos, he squared off against, as as Angela referenced, the returning from retirement, as brief as it was, Marlon Marais. And uh, I got to be honest, Lillian, I don't know why they're doing this. Like it, 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 it's it's a huge matchup. Like, don't get me wrong. It's a it's an attraction fight. and It's on the pay-per-view for a reason. But I thought they would have put these two on opposite sides of a bracket and maybe built towards a, a finale in 2023. I, I again, I, I guess I'm happy it's fighting because it's obviously two great fighters that we know very well. But from Rice just coming out of retirement, this fight with Burgos, my goodness, that's a huge test. 
but are you interested in it? I'm interested. <laughs> That's what it's all about. People yep. are going to be watching. These yep. fighters want to be seen and people want to see the fighters. I, it's a win-win all the way around. And I think that it's going to be exciting and they don't have to wait another year. To, yeah. to show what they can do in the PFL. And I think that that's the whole thing. It, it, again, we go back to taking risk and gambles and the PFL just doesn't do things that are just yeah. conventional. And I, that's why it's growing so fast. I also like that they're going out and doing their best. Like the Kayla Harris situation, it's a good problem to have, right? On one hand, the PFL has arguably the greatest women's fighter across multiple divisions. We don't really know yet because as dominant as she's been and as quality of, of, of fighters that you do have in the PFL, and it's not a knock on the fighters. I think it's just more an indictment and praise of how great Kayla Harrison is. Uh, the PFL, yes, they take risks, and they also go out and try to sign any and any everybody to make compelling matchups for Kayla Harrison. And most recently, over the last 24 hours, Aspen Ladd, landing with the PFL. It's really intriguing. We don't know what the future has in store, but I think a lot of us are are already lining up a potential fight with Kayla Harrison at either 145 or 155, whatever they can agree on. How bad would you like to see a Kayla and Aspen fight? Do you think it'll happen? I mean, I'd love to see Kayla. I really, I really love to see her in any fight. You know what I mean? Sure. She's, she's an attraction. Exciting to watch. She's so yeah. exciting to watch yeah. and she's so dominant. And, you know, you see these women that come in there and they're like, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the one. And then Kayla just destroys them. Um, so we'll see what happens. I love, you know, all the things that are, like I said, that are taking place and all the competitors that are coming yeah. in. And I think that's what Kayla wants. Kayla wants to continue biting up. You think you're the best? Bring it. Just bring it. Yeah. Because it keeps, you know, she's not just somebody that likes to say things like she likes to walk the walk. And that's what it's going to take is to get all of these amazing female fighters to go against her. She's the one a little as I throw up my Roman Reigns in the oh, bloodline ones over there. <laughs> Lillian, Lillian, I do got to ask you, obviously, you were part of the, the landscape of WWE for so many years. It's a company, you know, so well. I'm just curious, man. New regime, right? Different times under Triple H these last couple of months. I'm just curious. Have you been watching the product? And and what do you think about the new regime in WWE? I'm just curious as a fan. I work busted open on the weekends with LaGreca and those folks like, uh, you know, I've got a special place in my heart for uh, pro wrestling. And the WWE right now, the landscape feels a little different, Lillian. Well, you know, it's so funny because actually I was there backstage just a few weeks ago when they were in Anaheim Nice. Uh, and I, I got to see Stephanie and I got to see Triple H and, you know, speaking to them, um, it was great to catch up, uh, you know, Kevin Dunn, he was my boss for years, just and, and seeing everybody around like for me, it feels like home, you know, like I, I go home and I see my family uh, because I was there for 15 years full time Yeah. and been there, well, known them for over 20 years of my life. So it, it is, it's, it's wild because before I answer your question, you know, I just ran into, uh, I was at the airport and ran into Rey Mysterio and AJ Styles. AJ uh. looks at me, I look at him and we're like, wait, wait what are you doing here? <laughs> but immediately I ran into their arms and it was like, you know, my brother, like I sure. saw and we really are family. And that's the whole landscape backstage. Everybody was just pumped to do a really great show. I think that's more than anything, everybody just loves what they do for a living and they love to entertain. And the energy in the building is just always great. And the fans, you just hear them backstage and their, their roar and, and it's all about that. And I think everyone's just gonna put their best foot forward to try to make the best of everything that's going on. 
Awesome. Great stuff. Lillian Garcia from the PFL stopping by to talk about that pay-per-view coming up Thanksgiving Friday in November at the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden. Lillian, thanks for all you do for combat sports. Thanks for being a part of the landscape, if you will. And thanks for sticking around and spending some time with us. It was an absolute pleasure. Best of luck with that pay-per-view coming up in November. We're all going to be watching. I can't wait to see what the fights, uh, you know, materialize like. I appreciate you guys more than you know, and really the support of the MMA crowd to receive me because, you know, it's not easy crossing over. And <laughs> the so MMA true. fans, uh, not only just the fans, the PFL, um, you know, people like your guys, like you guys, um, just everybody, you know, has really received me with open arms. And I appreciate that so much. Thank you, Lillian. Have fun at the game. Have fun in San Diego. Thank you. <laughs> MMA on SiriusXM is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Plus, catch Unlocking the Cage weekdays from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern and MMA Today Tuesday to Thursday from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156 and on the SXM app. Sirius XM Podcasts.